chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome in to the Otzen Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. Welcome to the show. It's Monday, December 18th, a couple days before National Signing Day. And it's already kind of getting exciting for Oregon. Um, we talked about on the site on duckterritory.com this weekend that things are and Oregon had a big visit weekend with a bunch of transfers on, on campus from a portal perspective. They had a couple of their verbal commitments um, from the high school level on campus. Uh, and they're trying to stack pieces onto this, this roster for the 2024 and beyond seasons. And literally right before we started pressing record on this podcast, a commitment happened. Uh, we're going to break that down. Um, we're also going to discuss kind of what else happened this weekend, where things could be going for Oregon this weekend, uh, and more. But so let's start with the commit, uh, Jay Harris. He is um, an interesting story. I don't know if many people know of him. Uh, I didn't know of him until this past week. Uh, but he's a Division Two All-American running back that. I believe has three years of eligibility um, at his next school, which is going to be Oregon. Uh, but like I said, he announced on Twitter that he committed Monday morning after taking an official visit this weekend. Um, it's a unique avenue to find a player. I don't know how many of us on our bingo cards had a D2 player committing to Oregon on scholarship. Um, but 6'2", 215 pounds. He's a, he's a Division II All-American and 1,400 yards rushing. He scored a touchdown in every single game that he played. It's at least an interesting move. Uh, it feels like maybe a guy that could be here for a couple of years. I don't envision him being like a one-and-done type transfer. Extremely dynamic on film. 
if you go watch him. I mean, he moves really, really well for his size. He looks like an NFL caliber player eventually, at least in terms of what he has physically. Of course, there's a lot. You have to see transition to playing at this level, but big, strong, athletic, explosive, can run by everybody on the field, as Matt said, extremely productive. Hate to have been Central Oklahoma um, on October 7th, 274 yards and four touchdowns in that game. Uh, that's a lot. Um, as Matt said, like certainly somebody who's not on your radar when the portal starts because you're not really looking through Division II rosters to try to figure out who a school like Oregon might take. But once you kind of read up on him and you go watch the tape and stuff, you see why this would be somebody Oregon would be interested in. Um, and you also think back now to some of the news we've, we've seen recently with Dante Dowdell entering the transfer portal. I think that's something that's happened since the last time we recorded a podcast um, that opened up another spot in the room. Um, we know Bucky Irving is declaring for the NFL draft. I think that's something that's also happened since the last time we recorded a podcast. He will play in the Fiesta Bowl. Just a couple of updates there. But you think about this running back room, it's now starting uh, to, to take shape a little bit more now when you think about it being built around Jordan James, Noah Whittington. See what you have with Jay Harris. You've got Jaden Lamar. You've got uh, Dewan Riggs, the, the high school prep running back out of. Washington, D.C. committed. Um, he might, he probably will sign in a couple of days. That's somebody we can talk about when we talk about the uh, signing day preview. But the room now at least looks like it's close to full, um, at least in terms of the numbers you'd like to see for next year with, with five, uh, potentially six, depending on if they make any more moves. Um, I think this is a nice addition. And, and frankly, I'm really curious to see what this guy looks like when he gets here, just because if you go watch the film, he looks like he should belong. Sometimes you get situations where that's not the case and you bring a kid up and, and he's not ready. But this guy looks the part. We saw him in Eugene, I think, also um, yeah. on, on Friday. And just to get physically walking around the facility, you're like, that looks like a Division One running back. So um, very, very interesting addition. And I think somebody who I wouldn't be surprised if he's their number three guy, maybe number two if Whittington's not ready at perfect health to start a season. I think this kind of kind of a player is just a really nice, I would say, necessity ad, but also a bit of a luxury ad in terms of the fact that he is somebody who can physically come in and, and, and help right away. You mentioned that Central Oklahoma game. Um, in that game, Jay Harris was the only player in all of Division II football this past season with um, three rushing touchdowns of 40 or more yards in the same game. Um he scored on plays in that game of 15, 64, 45, and 44 yards. And 150 of those, what was it, 200 and something yards came on three plays. Um, this is, I, I, it's, it's hard to get like, oh, he's going he's gonna to be an all-conference player. It's like hard to say that. But it's interesting and it's exciting in the fact that you don't see this. You see FCS to... FBS happen all the time. Oregon's had huge success with that. But very rarely do you see a guy go from D2 to not only just FBS, but group of five and a team that's playing at a level that Oregon's at where they're expecting a playoff run in 2024. And it's exciting just to see the – it's the unknown of how impactful can this guy be? Is this truly one of those – diamond in the rough type guys and it's a completely different position it's on a different side of the football but 
Igor Oshansky, like that was a guy that like nobody knew anything about. And he showed up and he became like one of the Pac-12 or at the time the Pac-10's best defensive tackles out of completely nowhere. And this is who knows what Jay Harris's career is like, but he's coming from basically out of nowhere. He's also coming from the state of Missouri, which not to get too far down the pike here of Dan Laning connections. J Jared, is the story published? I just hit publish and it disappeared. So I have to completely rewrite it. So uh, that's why Go. I'm silent for the first seven minutes of this podcast. And uh, I might be silent for the, the next seven minutes of the podcast. Um, I'll give a quick yeah, go ahead. Uh, Jay Harris thing. Uh, huge running back. 6'2", 220 pounds, 215, I think he was listed at on Northwestern Missouri State. Um, but he's a big boy. He runs downhill. He's very similar to what Oregon has looked at uh, at running backs in the past in terms of Bucky and Noah, uh, Jordan James, just athletic guys who can you know, either beat you with their speed or on the edge or just run right through you. I think it's a very welcome addition in the running back room. I think there are some question marks going into next season. Um, I don't because I don't think any of the running backs Oregon has right now are nearly as talented as Bucky, and he was pretty damn good the last two years with a thousand yards each. So I think it's had some add some depth, solidifies some position. I don't know if there's a lot of expectations um, for Harris when he comes on the campus, and I'm certainly not going to have too many, but I think that he's going to be a welcome addition. Um, I'm just interested to see what it'll look like going against D1 competition because it's going to be a, just a sharp contrast between. Uh, the level that he was playing at where he put up, you know, these ridiculous numbers where he's, you know, running for 14, 1500 yards a season, um, 1600s this last, this last year. So it's going to be a, a completely different culture change and a, a talent level change, but I think he has the physical traits to do it. Um, he's certainly a lot of fun to watch on film. He's clearly like the most dominant player on the field at points. Um, I don't expect that at Oregon, but you know, if he comes by and, and proves that he is the most dominant player in the field, it's another good pickup. Um, I think Coach Locke has done a great job in his brief couple of years here of finding and evaluating and bringing in really good talent. So, you know, I trust him on this one. He's a guy who found Bucky, a guy who found Noah. Uh, Jordan James obviously was a was a bigger recruit, but um, a guy like Jan Lamar seems like he's got a lot of promise. Um, so it'll be another interesting addition, but uh, I, I welcome it. I think it'll be a good one. I'm I'm just curious to see what the backstory is and how somebody with his physical attributes ended up where he did out of high school, right? Because right. you, you never know like what the story is. There could have been grades. There could have been stuff away from football. There could have been somebody close to home that he wanted to stay nearby for a little bit. I don't know, but that'll be something to follow because, again, as Jared has said and Matt has said and I have said, you watch him and he looks like a Division One athlete, and he's only spent a couple of years – at a Division II school and exploded onto the scene to become one of the best players at that level. And again, you watch him, and he looks like he, he should belong at this level. And, and just the last thing and the point I was about to make before uh, I, we learned about the unfortunate news with Jared's story not publishing, um, I, I, I just wonder a little bit of what kind of connections maybe Dan had in that part of the country, in the state of Missouri, to, to maybe maybe he knows somebody on that division two staff that tipped him off and said, we got something really special down here. I'm just curious a little bit on that background. I'm not sure if Dan will ever go into detail or if we can get um, in contact with Jay. Maybe he can kind of outline some of that. But um, just a really interesting commitment from a couple of different angles and one that, again, like Jared, I don't know what the expectation should be, but 
it's certainly it's certainly a guy who physically looks like he checks some boxes. Now, it could by the time we were finish this recording of the podcast, or by the time you listen to this show, uh, because maybe it's a Tuesday morning and you're off to work and you pop this on. I don't know, but there might be other commitments that come from prospects on campus this past weekend. Um, the one most likely, I think, uh, we hinted at this on the site. Uh, Matt Zenitz of 24-7 Sports has now made it public that he expects Kobe Savage uh, to go and commit to Oregon. He was on campus this past weekend. Savage has not said anything publicly um, as of December 18th at 9.25 a.m., um, but the expectation is, at least, that uh, the Kansas State all-conference player at the safety position should be committing to Oregon in the next day or two, uh, or maybe a little bit later. He was at Washington this weekend as well, um, but Oregon has positioned themselves here for uh, – the front runner at least to land a commitment. And I think this is another one where maybe you look at it and say, well, it's a three-star safety. Is this really that big of a deal? And I know some people, strangely enough, had that type of reaction uh, (laughs) Sunday on the site, but this is an all-conference player two years in a row in the big 12. This is a team captain, one of the team's leaders overall for a Kansas state team. That's going to be playing in a bowl game that spent, part of the year as a top 25 program PFF likes Kobe Savage uh, and it's going to be a, it would be a piece that would fill a need for Oregon. I mean, Jared's talked about it a lot. Like the safety, the safety room's completely barren. He, he, he talked about it on his two deep story that he put up on the site today that like, even though they've got some guys available, like they, they need to, they need to fill the holes. So this is a big step this would be a big step uh, in the right direction for filling those holes. If, if they can close the deal here on Kobe Savage. Yeah. I went through the exercise of trying to project a safety too deep for next year. And let's just say it got kind of ugly pretty quick. There's just not a lot of options, which is why somebody like Savage would make a ton of sense. He'd be a plug and play starter. This would be very much like what Oregon did last offseason, adding Evan Williams, adding Tyshin Johnson guys that, arrived at Oregon and just started every game this last season. So um, that's the type of player you would be getting, I guess we will say hypothetically, even though there's a lot of confidence this is happening. Um, Matt's kind of outlined some of the background, but junior college kid, a couple of years at Kansas State, was all conference both years, was a starter and a captain both seasons. Um, so all big 12 second team pick in 2022 and only played, I think, nine or 10 games, which sort of speaks to the impact he made when he did play in those games. Um, Oregon's had a difficult time in certain matchups at the back end. Um, and I will say Savage is probably better as somebody in the box. And I think he played a little bit more there at Kansas State than he did as a true deep safety. Um, but this guy is really dynamic, really athletic, makes a lot of plays, had six interceptions in two seasons. Um, and is certainly somebody who is not like a massive liability at the back end. And frankly, I don't know if Oregon safeties were massive liabilities as much as they went up against matchup against Washington twice this season. That really it's just going to challenge just about any college personnel at the back end of those positions. So I, I, I think the Oregon secondary stinks narrative has really too, has been too strong in the last couple of weeks. I understand it's fresh because 
the two games you lost this season were to Washington, um, and and there were some deficiencies there. I, I think they're going to be just fine at this position, assuming they land the caliber of player like Kobe Savage. Um, and I think they're going to have to land a couple. Uh, I don't think they're done at safety in the portal this cycle. I don't think it would make much sense because if you look at it, you'd be going like, I guess, are you moving Taishim deep? Are you are you figuring Cole Martin is ready to start? Um, are you thinking someone like Cody DeCambro is going to be in the two deep? Because those are the type of scenarios that would, would be accurate and ring true for 2024, assuming Oregon doesn't go out and land another portal safety um, this cycle. So um, I think Savage is a great get. I saw Matt referenced it. There were some people who uh, right after the, maybe it was just one on our message board, had some very strong opinions that this was not a good addition. That person was basically um, <laughs> not well received by anybody on the message board. We'll put it that way. Um, I happen to very strongly disagree with that stance. I think this is a really nice addition. And similar, like I said, to Taishima Evan, I think this guy comes in, assuming he does end up committing to Oregon uh, and signing for 12 games. Success, Jared. We got it. We're here. Hey, um, we're live, live in the flesh. Ron Artest. Um, yeah, I to go on the Savage point, just to jump in and kind of commandeer this this conversation. I, I really like the addition, uh, like what Eric went through and and talking about how they don't have any safeties. And if you if you if you don't believe me, go look at my depth chart for for the bowl game because after Damon David and Brian Addison decided that they're not going to play for Oregon anymore. Uh, I have Cole Martin as a backup for all three positions uh, in the safety level because, well, that's where they're at. It's either him, Cody DeCamber, Tyler Turner, or uh, maybe Kamari Terrell. I still am really honestly unsure what position he really plays on the football field. But he could be a name that goes over to safety. But to, to talk about Savage, I think his ball skills are a little bit better than Evan Williams's, And – there have been a lot of people who compare him to Evan Williams, and for some reason that narrative has become a negative connotation in recent weeks, and I don't get it. Like Evan Williams is quite a good player. He was very good for Oregon this year, um, you know, like a second-team All-Pac-12 player, and and Savage is a second-team All-Big 12 player, which is good. I don't know why these are these almost like negative uh, traits for a player to have, but it's beyond me. I think if he comes in and replicates what Evan Williams does or did, excuse me, this past season, I think you take that a hundred times out of a hundred. Uh, those are two very good players. They're very, they're two very talented players. I think there are some similarities with the two of them. Uh, I think they're both physical. I think Evan's Evan is probably a little bit built bigger, um, but I think Kobe Savage has better ball skills. Um, I'm interested to see where he plays. Like Eric was talking about, maybe he plays uh, that nickel position. Um, and then move Taishim to the back end. But then again, there's there's no height. Everybody's short. They're all like five foot 11 or under. Like That's the problem. No disrespect to anybody yeah. who is, but that's the problem. You need guys like a Brian Addison who has that um, six foot four, six foot five wingspan, and or not wingspan height, and then a big wingspan that can cover range like a center fielder in baseball. But maybe they have that already coming in in Sione Le Laulea and their cornerback prospect, their Juco guy, who is listed as a cornerback, but is also 6'4", 185 pounds. So maybe he's an option that can move to safety. Um, I think Savage is a great start if he if they do land him. I'm assuming they will because that's just what it sounds like. But uh, I think it's a good start, but they need to add a couple more guys. And there's still time. There's still bowl games to happen. There's still guys to enter the transfer portal. Um, you know, there's, there's bigger – 
uh, names entering every day. You know, Malachi Nelson and Damani Jackson both left USC in the last, honestly, like last like 14 hours. Um, so there's going to be names that pop up, but safety is a big priority. And I think Savage certainly um, eliminates some need for it. I think he's a day one starter when he gets to Oregon. To just touch on your, they need to add more. They also have Aaron Flowers, a four-star safety from Texas. And I know, right? Like it, it's not, it's it's not a good thing if you're if your position group and you're an you're an elite program like Oregon and a true freshman can come in and immediately start. But Flowers is a guy at least that in Texas has performed very well. Mike Roach, uh, who covers that area for 24 seven sports has basically been on like a year long, just love fest of Aaron flowers and has been impressed with him every single time that he has watched them play. He played very deep into the state, uh, high, uh, the, the state championship playoffs in the state of Texas. Um, maybe Oregon is just very confident that between adding a savage and a couple of the guys that they've got committed in this class that they can come in and make some kind of impact. I don't know if it would be fair to expect flowers to start, but it might be an expectation that, Hey, like maybe, maybe Cole Martin in, in year two elevates himself to some kind of starter role and play, improves his skill set, And then flowers replaces what Cole Martin was uh, in, in 2024. Is that good enough? I don't know. Probably not, but you still have to probably go out and add some safety depth from the portal. But at least they're going to have a couple options now, and it's it becomes a deal where can you go out and can you add a couple more um, to the mix? Now, I think the big question from this past weekend that's left is – What's the the fallout from a Dante Moore, um, a Caden Green? Um, there's also Derek Harmon who was on campus. If you're unfamiliar with who um, Green or, or Harmon are, Caden Green is probably the number one offensive line transfer portal player in the country. He was from Oklahoma, a freshman, um, Missouri. He also he also checked out Missouri. He's from Missouri. We'll see how much of a factor that plays in. And then Derek Harmon is a two-year starter at Michigan at Michigan State at defensive tackle, nose tackle type player. Um, he's currently unranked, but that will change. I would imagine he's probably going to be maybe like a high to mid three-star guy. But um, two, one position that you – I don't know if we ever like said they had to go out and find an offensive line in Caden Green, but then defensive line – we talked about this last week, the week before, the week after that, the week before that. Like, Derek Carmen is probably one of Oregon's more important targets to, to hopefully land just because of how much depth that they don't have next season at that position. Yeah, we talked about defensive line. That's that's a primary position. That's the primary position in my mind this cycle. And I know Jared said five to seven, I think three to five, regardless, they have to get a bunch of bodies here and Harmon would be a great place to start. Um, Caden Green would come in and be a starter immediately, obviously. I think he's the fourth ranked player in the portal by 24-7 sports, regardless of position. You said it, Matt, top ranked offensive lineman, freshman All-American last year at Oklahoma. 
this is a guy you would bring in and expect to be probably replacing Stephen Jones at right guard. Um, it sounds like Green might want to play tackle eventually. I think maybe you could just promise him that he'd be one of your starting tackles or have a great chance at that in come 2025. Um, and then the Dante Moore of it all is, we've already kind of talked that one through before. You can be skeptical of what he was at UCLA, but if you look at him and say, hey, this is a guy who was an incredible recruit that Oregon fans obviously were devastated to lose last cycle, he would be in the mix to be the, the, the you know the starter following Dylan Gabriel and probably not even in the mix. I think you'd say more than that. He would be the heir apparent. And just to, I think just to have a pretty clear cut quarterback situation for two or three seasons, if this is how it plays out, that's a really nice place to be to say, Hey, we know we have our short term guy in Dylan Gabriel. And then we also have our long-term option in Dante Moore. And I know Oregon fans will say, well, wasn't that what they just had with Ty Thompson? And the answer was probably not. I, I think I think sadly there was a sense behind the scenes that maybe Ty was never going to be the guy. And and I, I don't say that because I felt that way. I say that because look how this has played out, where they saw an opportunity to go grab someone like Dante Moore and chose to go that route rather than relying on the guy who's been here for three seasons. So um, I, I, that part of it, if that comes to fruition, would be really really exciting. As would the addition of any of those players you mentioned, Matt, talking about addressing positions of need with Harmon. And then, of course, mm-hmm. I've already said it with Caden Green. That's a guy who comes in and starts right away in 24. And then in 25, he might be your best offensive lineman. So, um, yeah, this is, this would be a huge, huge collection if they could land all three of those guys. But even getting two of those guys or one of those guys would be big additions for this program in terms of the direction that they're trying to go in. Yeah, they would most certainly all be big additions. Um, I think green is almost like a luxury purchase at this point um, because of the guys that they have in their offensive line room. Um, I think they have good depth. I think they have good da- good talent at tackle and at guard. Um, but to Eric's point, like green would be an immediate starter, uh, like no questions asked. Like I think he would be better than Dave Iuli. I think he would be better than Kavika Rogers or whoever else they wanted to throw in there. Um, and that's not saying that those guys are bad because those are – um, you know some of the, the the higher snap receivers on the on the team at at the offensive line, other than the starters. Um, but Caden Green is like number four overall in the transfer portal, number one offensive tackle. Um, again, yeah, no, like a total luxury thing, but I certainly wouldn't be against it if Oregon can get him. And maybe Dylan Gabriel is the leading, you know, the driving force behind that in their time at Oklahoma together last season. Um, so that certainly helps Oregon if if that's that's the case. If Gabriel is the one who's you know, driving that that bus towards trying to get green. But um, I think Derek Harmon would be a must-have. Uh, I think he's a big enough body. He's a multi-time, you know, multi-year starter in the Big Ten at Michigan State. Um, knows what it's like to be in big boy football situations. Um, Oregon had a couple of guys on the on their roster this year. They are gone. Um, five of the eight projected linemen in my two deep this morning are Going to, going to be gone after the end of the season. No questions asked. They just don't have eligibility anymore. And it could be six if Jordan Birch is another guy who ends up leaving. Um, he still has a draft decision to make, but he's practicing with the team as we speak. So there are needs at the defensive lineman position. And that's why I've been so high on it. And Harmon is a guy who's six foot, what is he? He's six foot five, 320 pounds. I think that's what he's listed at. Yeah, six five, 320. It's a big boy. That's what you need when you're moving into the Big Ten and you're going against 
the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Nebraskas, blah, blah, blahs of the world. Um, you're going to need big boys. And I think that he would be a wonderful addition to the defensive line room. They obviously still need many more to go in that D-line room or need guys to really step up in the offseason. But he would be a good start. And Dante Moore, I mean, I've been over it. Uh, we've all been over it, I think. Like, would be a great addition, almost, again, like kind of a luxury purchase. But it would set you up for the next three years. You know, you have Gabriel year one and then more potentially for two or more for at least another one. So you don't have to worry about going to the transfer portal yet again. Um, I think that all be wonderful additions. We'll see just because it's a transfer portal and, you know, guys, uh, I like Lincoln Riley two weeks ago was talking about how great Malachi Nelson was during practice and how he could be the save or not the savior, but the future of USC football headed down the line. And then gone. he's gone. So um, position guys, coaches can move. Like there, there's so many things that can happen during the next couple of weeks of the portal. Um, I think I think it's really important that Oregon has gotten all these guys before the dead period. Like that was very clearly like, hey, we need to get as many people that we we know that we want here. Um, and I think they did that. I think there's probably a ship or two that is sailed, but just getting them out there on the first visit still puts them in the game. Still gives them contacts. Still gives them relationships because this isn't like recruiting where you have relationships with these players for three to four years and then get them to campus. These are guys that uh, like Jay Harris, I don't know what the relationship was there at Oregon, but he's a D2 player. He comes for a visit, you know, him like for just a few weeks of talking as soon as they enter the portal. So just to get the connections and get the establishment there, I think is huge and important, especially before the dead period. Um, but we'll see who they land. Uh, real quick. One more name just to keep your eye on. Atticus Sappington, a former Oregon State Beaver, no less, in-state kid, kicker. He was on campus, transfer portal kicker. Um, are, we're not surprised, right? Like, No. Not necessarily that it's Isaac Sappington, Atticus Sappington, but the fact that they're going after a kicker, like this makes total sense. And I know they've got scholarship specialists on the team already, but – if a guy of Sappington's caliber wants to continue his drive south down I-5 and land at, at Oregon after spending a couple of years at Oregon State, you do it. He was 13 to 14 this past season on field goals. Um, he played his prep football at Central Catholic High School up in Portland. That doesn't really matter much, but just tells you it's a kid from close to home on campus as well for an official visit. I hope they land him so you have to pronounce his name with high frequency in the future. It's a, it's a tough one. Atticus Sappington. It's also fun to say. Yes. But uh, yeah, no, in, in all sincerity, yeah, this would be, they need to, they need to figure out what they're going to do at kicker. I know Grant Meters was a really highly regarded prospect when he was coming out of high school this last year. We don't know what they have there. It really hasn't been tested. Um, bringing in some competition makes a ton of sense. And Sappington is somebody who has legitimate college kicking experience and has been extremely accurate. So um, sign me up if that one is a possibility. Yeah, um, it could be a situation where they just don't have the faith in Grant Meters or just want some backup to him. Oregon has never been shy to take a plethora of kickers on their team, mm -hmm. and uh, this might be another instance of that opportunity. I'm, I'm just curious if it would be a scholarship guy or not because right. that's been a competition. Like Whoever wins the starting job out of, out of camp is the scholarship guy. So could just be another competition piece to add, but I'm not surprised. I think it was my wild card on transfer portal ideas that are 
players that they want to pick on. Um, I think kicker was my wild card. Like, I didn't know what they were going to do, but it seems like they are interested in adding another kicker. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. The original signing yep. day for the high school kids is on the 20th, a couple of days from now. Um, some of the players have already publicly said when they're signing. Um, Tion Gray, a force. Uh, four-star defensive lineman from Missouri has actually already signed his paperwork and is literally just waiting until the window opens to send it in. A couple guys have already done it. Um, Luke Moga, the, the three-star quarterback has already said that he will be arriving probably in the next week or so after Christmas to join the team ahead of its bowl preparations uh, for the, the Fiesta Bowl. Um, a large group of these guys are going to enroll early. Um, that's a huge deal. But Oregon's also trying to hold on to some guys late. You know, Colorado is going after uh, Jaquan McRoy. We know that um, Dylan Williams, Dylan Gresham, two guys have this past couple of weeks have, have taken official visits to Arizona, to USC, I believe, um, Gresham was at Texas this past weekend. Um, so Oregon's got a top 10 class. They have addressed plenty of needs. They have two five stars currently committed to its roster, but they're also trying to hold on to some commitments. Uh, they're trying themselves to flip some guys as well that are committed to other schools. Um, and then there's a couple last-minute guys who just haven't made their commitments and will do so in the next couple of days, and they're trying to land them. Um, I guess just overarching theme, what 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 do we like about this class? What What is a player that we like about this class? Oh, I thought we were doing, like, what questions we have. Um, yeah, what, what question do you have? I, my, my, my question is just where, where where is this going at receiver? Um, you know, we've talked about this before where 
you know, Matt kind of even touched on it earlier with the Aaron Flowers conversation at safety where you go, okay, how much impact do you expect to get out of these true freshmen? And if you're not going to get it very quickly, you're just going to recruit over those guys. So how much of that is going into the decision-making process of like, because we've, we've seen, we should know, Jordan Anderson decommitted in the last week or so. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, Dylan Gresham potentially looking around and maybe he ends up somewhere else. So there's two of these guys who, and previously I'm going to blank on the name, but there was a East Coast commit, and this was months ago, that decommitted who had been committed. Tysir Denmark. Thank you, Tysir Denmark. Yeah, I couldn't remember the first name. Um, so they've had some kind of, they've lost a couple of receivers. I'm not particularly concerned with any of this because I don't expect true freshmen to really make massive contributions. Shoot, we just saw five-star Jurion Dickey basically not carve out a role of any kind over the course of an entire season, and he's much more highly thought of than any of these guys. But I guess my question here is just like, what is the strategy in terms of depth building and roster building at receiver in some of these positions where it seems like Oregon has just gone out and hit the portal, and maybe it's all the positions, frankly. Um, you know, and so like, are they, it seems like they're pretty okay losing some of these prep guys. Um, and I think I'd be okay losing some of these prep guys. And it seems like I would be very curious just to see what the future of prep recruiting holds at schools, because it's going to be, I think at some point kind of difficult to say, Hey, come to this school when in two or three years, your time to potentially start arrives. Are you going to want to be a patient enough to be here for that? And if you are, and you don't develop, you're not going to have the job. So I think that's the part that's 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 kind of interesting here. And then the other part for me with some of these receivers are losing is I wonder how much of this is Jeremiah McClellan related, yeah. who is the Ohio State receiver, top 50 guy. I know Stu Wiltfong had an update on Sunday at some point, I think it was, kind of indicating that McClellan to Oregon was certainly something that could happen on early signing day. So um, a long-winded way of saying there's just a lot of moving parts at receiver in this cycle. Um, I'm curious about it. And then big picture, I'm just curious about how influential prep recruiting really ends up being. It's kind of like a bigger talking point. Maybe one we hit this offseason more when we see what the portal additions look like. But I just I just think it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Of Oregon brings in these highly rated guys and, and they don't play and then they end up transferring, but then they replace them with like I personally think Dante Dowdell, Jay Harris, like just to bring it back to that one, you're getting a more experienced guy in Harris who's proven he can run it at you know at, at the division two level and a call at the college level. So that makes sense as a, as a, as a, as a trade, if you will. I'm just curious to see right. kind of how much of that sort of thinking continues over the course of these cycles, because it just strikes me as interesting with this one in particular. Yeah, it certainly does. That was one of the main questions um, that I had going into the class. Um, I think some of those could be answered if some there's, if there are some transfer portal additions, if there is the Jeremiah McClellan flip that, um, could be definitely it could be on the table um but you know the transportal like right now there's not a whole lot of really talented wide receivers and um, a couple of the ones that were really talented that um, either had an Oregon offer or were expected to visit Oregon uh, have now committed elsewhere so that pool is getting smaller but again there's still plenty of time left in the transportal there's going to be another wave of, of uh, players who join after their bowl game um I think my question uh sits on the offensive line it's just, you know, it's like two straight years of um, some more developmental offensive linemen. Fox Crater, I think, is a guy who um, won't take as, as much time to develop. Uh, Devin Brooks is another guy who's cer certainly risen through the recruiting rankings over the course of the year um, from, from Oregon. And then uh, Trent Ferguson is another guy who seems like he's a real developmental guy, that he's 
um, you know, big body, just hasn't played football for a while. He was more of a basketball player. And then someone was like, hey, come on the field. You're ginormous. He's like, all right, um, makes sense. So like a lot of developmental guys, and I know that this wasn't the strongest of offensive line classes. We had Cooper Patagna on months ago, and he basically was like, no one's that good, and uh, that's okay. And so they didn't get Brandon Baker, uh, a, a legacy of Oregon with his older brother, uh, Gary, coming to the, coming to the Ducks. Um, they missed out on Jordan Seaton to Colorado. Uh, I don't know if I would close the door on that one yet. There's just been a lot of like, Jordan and Oregon are still in contact um, stuff from, from national guys from all over the place. So I don't know if that's one to certainly close. It could be a signing day. We all remember last year's signing day when Oregon was like, well, this is seemingly maybe a disappointing class. Like they need to get a couple more guys. Then they flipped some dudes like Mateo uh, for six hours, Peyton Bowen, uh, Solomon Davis, another depth piece that Oregon had um, a good depth piece at that. Like there, there are always going to be fireworks on National Signing Day. You know, it's like death taxes, National Signing Day fireworks, some type of flip or anything. It could involve Oregon, could involve a player on Oregon's team currently, or not team, but the recruiting class. Um, I just think that offensive line is going to be interesting. I'm, I'll, I'll have, I feel like I'll have a better idea of it next season when there are more opportunities and there's a better uh, overall class, at least from what it looks like at, right now. But you know, Jaquan McCroy is no consolation prize. Like he's a legit dude, and they got on him early, and now um, there's a huge disparity between his rankings and the top two, four, seven in the composite. Now those have tightened, and he's just like a universal consensus, um, like top 150 prospect. So uh, that's a guy who can come in and potentially be an immediate impact player. Um, he could be someone like George Silva, where he needs a year of development and a weight room to really figure out his body and his role at the collegiate level, but. I think that's my biggest question, and it's not a knock at Elite Terry. It's just this is the first year with him as, like, the full-time recruiting guy. Wasn't a great class to recruit from. I'm just interested to see where it goes from here on out, but I like that they got a couple of developmental guys, some in-state kids, keep that connection going, which you have to do, even if they're not, you know, not the most talented kids in the world. you got to keep the in-state going. Um, and they did exactly that, and they still landed with the top you know, four-star prospect in McCroy. So just interested, but I like, I like the class overall. I think it's got a lot of depth in a lot of different areas, probably other than wide receiver. I think to Eric's question of, will there be some attrition within this class? I think that's pretty probable um, because they're at 85 guys now with Jay Harris joining the roster. We're assuming that Kobe Savage is going to commit to Oregon. That puts them one over. We're assuming that they land Jericho Johnson. Now they're back two over. You add a Dante Moore. You add maybe a Hickman. uh, And all of a sudden, you're creeping up towards 90. And to what you guys have said, like, whether what's what's the likelihood of – a true freshman showing up and performing over the next couple of seasons over adding a portal guy who was already played a couple seasons or maybe has one more year of eligibility left. Um, Most often not at that, this point in time, unless you're like a five-star top 50 type player, like you're going to pick the college player over the high school player. And for like a one year or a two year, you know, usage rate, 
So I, I think there is, and that's probably what it is for me, is there is probably going to be some some decommitments. There are guys that could potentially transfer out of the program to help get Oregon down below that 85 limit, and there will be guys that transfer out after Oregon's bowl game on the first. They will be very quickly put into the portal on the second before the portal closes, I think, the day after that. Um, but I don't know if there's going to be enough portal departures to get Oregon to a number for the area of players that they want to sign from the high school ranks and from the portal themselves, which leads you to, well, look, there's probably going to be some guys that are on this commit list that, that don't end up signing with Oregon. And that's the reality of it. And to maybe not necessarily end on a negative note, I do think Oregon's going to flip somebody on signing day. Um, whether it's like what you guys talked about with Jeremiah McClellan, um, maybe they're they're trying really – they are trying with Jordan Seaton. Maybe that doesn't seem very realistic right now, but that's still out there. Um, we do know that they were also at um, Ryan Pelham's high school like oh. three days before this past weekend, a four-star receiver committed to USC. Um, Oregon and USC were his finalists. Uh, before he picked the Trojans. And if you're unfamiliar, yes, he is Don Pelham's nephew. Um, there, so there is like some longstanding connection with Ryan Pelham. Um, and that would go into both of what you guys talked about. Like, what are they doing at receiver? Um, you know, that could factor in here as well. Maybe if if they don't get McClellan, maybe they, they try real hard to, to flip Pelham. Um, but it's an interesting one. I think there's a lot of questions. We're, we're going to get some of these answers, but I also think we leave signing day still wondering about some of this stuff. And just to end it on a positive, if Jericho Johnson commits to Oregon on signing day, and that is, I think, the expectation right now, all the crystal balls are pointed in that direction. What an incredible defensive line haul for Oregon. And this would only be rivaled by the DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead class. This year's class would be more highly rated. I'm just bringing those up because those are two future. They ended up being top 10 draft picks. But this group could be something absolutely special. And we talked about earlier about, you know, I, I did at least the kind of quandary of, okay, do you go true freshman who probably isn't going to play or do you bring in a portal guy and how that can cause issues? Um, I think there's a chance at defensive line that going forward after this cycle that they don't need to really hit the portal as hard if they if these players pan out, if Jericho Johnson, if um, mm-hmm. Aiden Breland and Elijah Rushing. Um, honestly, like Jackson Jones is somebody that intrigues me um, as, as just kind of an outside linebacker guy. Yeah. I, I, just, I just think there's a, so much upside in this cycle where if you hit on three or four of these guys, you could come into a spot here where we're talking. And, of course, there's not going to be as many players lost to graduation after 24 on the defensive line. Or you could sit, you could we could sit here and be saying, maybe they only need to get one or two defensive line portal guys, which would be kind of a strange year just because of how much depth and how good they feel about stacking two really high end defensive line classes on top of each other back to back. Yeah, to go back to the, the scholarship numbers, I I feel like I'm on repeat here on a lot of this as I was last year. Like I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd worry about them right now. Um, you know, I I looked it up. Uh, you want to know how many scholarships Oregon was at on January 10th after the transfer portal closed? Last 93. year. Uh, it was right around, I think 90, yeah, I'll say 92. 95, even more. 
there's 10 more over. Like you only have to hit 85 by fall. And yeah, right. I think they'll do it. I think there's, I think it's, it's dramatically different this year, uh, pre-bowl game transfer out from the, from the team as it is this year. Last year, there were a lot of people who transferred out and Oregon didn't even land um, a lot of their commitments from the transfer portal until the middle of January. So they're putting in work early. There's not as many guys who have left. There's still nine players who have left the team, which is still a good amount of people. Um, I just expect there to be a good amount more after the bowl game and, and before the other transfer portal um, or the, before the spring transfer portal. There's still time. But overall, I'll end it on a high note as well. Um, there are still plenty of options out there. Uh, we haven't talked about Gatlin Bear. He's another guy who's a high four-star recruit. Um, he will be going on a two-year mission. So I don't, I don't remember how missions work for their scholarship totals. I think it only counts when they come to school, when they enroll. So he wouldn't go immediately on this uh, class, but he would be a guy for the future that you could look forward to. Um, there's still, like Eric mentioned, the Jericho Johnson effect. Um, I think he was... For a while, he was my number one want in the recruiting world just because of his pure size, speed, and athleticism. Um, I think he would be a huge help in the Big Ten to have a like a real nose tackle, a real interior fella to pair along with potentially Derek Harmon from Michigan State. Um, I really like the class overall. I think the depth is great. I think the secondary talent is outstanding. Um, they, they, you know, like Dakota Fields is the highest rated secondary guy. Uh, I think I'm in love with Ife Obadegwu. I think he's so good. I think he's a tremendous corner who's a guy who cover strong, hit well. Um, he's like right at the top of my list. Uh, Jackson Jones is another guy. He kind of reminds me of of uh, the Blake Purchase effect that I had last year. Like how I really liked him. I feel the same about Jackson Jones and his talent and his just pure athleticism. Um, I think it's one of the better classes in recent memory. It's not going to be – uh, it probably won't compete for the greatest class in Oregon history. It's going to be close-ish, I think, by the end of it all. But, man, I really like the top-end talent. You mean in terms be, of ranking? Yeah. yeah, in terms of like, the composite okay, score. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Because yeah. um, that 21 class is, is pretty up there in composite ranking. I think it could get close. I actually don't know what Oregon's is right now to talk about. But um, I think – Regardless, it's still the top end talent in this class is going to be incredible. Uh, real quick, Gatlin Bear has postponed. He's not signing on signing day this week. Um, okay. which right, is, yeah, he's, he's going in February. Yeah. My bad, I forgot to mention. But that's, that's good for Oregon because they are perceived as the second school behind Michigan. Um, so the mm -hmm. fact that he's choosing not to sign – is is a positive for Oregon just because it opens the door for them to to be able to recruit him longer before he signs with the school. Not to is, not yeah. to mention, are we confident Michigan's coaching situation will be the same when February yeah. comes around? Right, like that's that's certainly. I mean, we've seen that name by the way linked to the uh, the head coaching position for one Justin Herbert's NFL team. So um, it's possible Jim Harbaugh is yeah. not at Michigan, and maybe. That changes some of the decision-making for, for Mr. Bear. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the podcast. Next time you hear from us will probably be Wednesday at some point. We're working on a very special guest that day as well as a couple other things. It might be a two-podcast day, to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what, what we've got planned if everything oh, wow. goes correctly. But uh, if it does, it could be a pretty fun day for the pod. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.